This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. So this is the Sunday edition of Daily Thunder, which is really our campus church service on Sunday morning, since that's what most people are used to and familiar with. And uh, the theme, oftentimes I'll be in a theme, and sometimes I'll do a unique message uh, like I used to do in the, in the chapel each week. Uh, and, but this one I'm going to tie in with uh, what we've been covering this weekend, for those of you that have been here. And we've been dealing with manhood. We have a fatherhood conference. It was a delight for me personally. Uh, first of all, it's one of my favorite topics to be discussing in the first place. Uh, but being around this sort of men that have such a passion to do this right and to allow the Holy Spirit to work through them, to live a supernatural version of masculinity, of fatherhood, of husbandhood, uh, is very inspiring. And so I just want to thank all of the men that have been here is very enriching for me. Uh, and for all the ladies here that have put up with all this manly talk uh, throughout the weekend. Uh, but it's, it's interesting because godly women delight to see men rise up to be men. And I, I came out with a, a book called The Bravehearted Gospel quite a few years ago. Uh, it was way before Ellerslie started. It was a very controversial book, very manly. It's about sticking the manly stuff back in Christianity. And the publisher uh, at the time was very concerned because they appealed to women. Their entire publishing, well, almost every publisher, okay, every publisher appeals to women. That's basically the buying audience. But this one, their specialty was they hit the, the female market head on. And now they have an Eric Ludy book about sticking the manly stuff back in Christianity. They were very concerned. But what's interesting about that book, even though it still remains controversial to this day, because I just basically took on the system and I said, okay, we need to change this, guys. We are sliding as the church, and the publishing industry is a part of it, the music industry is a part of it. We need to change it. So I basically picked a fight with everyone, and no one really appreciated it that much. But what's fascinating is the ones that appreciated that book, maybe more than any, were women. Uh, so it's like, hey, I may know your market better than you do, uh, oh, Harvest House. In other words, do you recognize that women actually desire men to be strong, and they don't want to just hear how they can be empowered as women? They want to see a vision for masculinity. So no matter how you cut it, when you talk about Christianity, you're talking about manhood because you're talking about Jesus. And he just happened to embody manhood. And so he's setting a pattern for the man. And as a result, we, no matter how you dish it out, are going to be addressing manhood in basically every message uh, that delivers the truth of Jesus Christ. And then what's extra interesting is even those of us that are of the male persuasion, we are going to be considered the bride in Scripture. We are the dependent one, the one that leans upon the strong right arm of our groom or the man. And so every single one of us, if we were to teach on femininity, you would recognize that every single one of us could identify. 
because every single one of us plays a role of the bride in, at a certain level and angle. But then if we were to talk about manhood, every single one of us can identify because every single one of us has that man living inside of us. But he expresses himself in and through our gender, our femininity or our masculinity in a very unique and beautiful way. And so all of us get to relate to the same truths even though we play a unique role in how we demonstrate it. So this one is called The Uncommon Life. Uh, it's a very manly message, it's a fun one though. I, this one has more humor than maybe I should have allowed into a message, but uh, it, this, the subtitle doesn't necessarily show you that, but it says finding extreme delight, well there's the word delight in there, in the soldier life, but soldier life doesn't sound very exciting at first. Now this comes back to a conversation, I don't know if even Philip is in here, but I was uh, talking with Philip and Emily and uh, they were just sharing their burden and their passion. It's like, what, what are we doing here at Ellerslie and what should we be aiming for? And Philip's enunciation of it was this, I wanna build happy soldiers. And I, I had a message called Happy Soldiers, or The Happy Soldier, quite a few years ago. So I went and looked it up, and sure enough, I can't help but agree. Yeah, yeah, like that. Happy Soldiers. In other words, soldiers are those that know their position. They know their rank. They know where they fit into this grand battle. They, they are a part of something, but they're men and women under authority, if you want to say it that way. And, but they're living on purpose. But many of us, when we think about the difficulties, because soldier life is one of the hardest versions of living. So over the weekend, I think it was Friday night, we talked about the shepherd's life. Yeah, the shepherd's life and the soldier's life, not altogether different. They're very similar, and it's a harder version of life. It's a rigorous version of life where you are deliberately giving up certain privileges, certain comforts, and certain pleasures for a higher purpose. And so we are gonna be likened unto soldiers in scripture, and very specifically we are likened in that regard where we are called to recognize that we're lives under authority with a very specific task to do in the one time period we have on this earth. And to get that job done, we're gonna to have to say no to certain pleasures that other people are enjoying. We're gonna to have to neglect certain aspects or desires of our life because there is a higher purpose and a higher call that we are engaged in. And that's the soldier mentality. And so I'm calling this the uncommon life because that's the soldier life. It is not a common life, it is an uncommon life. You have been not called to a common life where you look around and say, well, how come everyone else gets to do this? Oh, believe me, I've had that thought go through my head so many times, like, God, why is it that it seems like everyone else gets spared these specific challenges that I get? It's like, Eric, um, you're a soldier, and I'd like you to be a good soldier. In other words, a good soldier is not just a dutiful one, not just one who is willing to grit his teeth and go through it. A good soldier is going to prove himself a good soldier by the fact that he enjoys his uncommon life. You know, and all throughout history, soldiers have loved the uncommon life. In fact, there becomes a brotherhood in the suffering, and we could call it a fellowship of suffering, if that helps trigger some, some terminology in your mind, but there's a fellowship in the suffering. And a lot of times in history, it's been called gallows humor, you know, where you see death so often that you begin to joke about it. There's a fleshly side, sort of a negative spin on it, but you could take that same gallows humor of extreme difficulty 
and recognize that you can laugh in the midst of it. And that's what the greatest soldiers have done. Like the Australians are considered one of the greatest soldiering groups uh, in World War I and World War II because they had a shocking resilience to even the hardest situations where they would be surrounded in a pit, surrounded like they have the low ground in the midst of it. And everyone, all the guns are trained on them and they all start cracking jokes and laughing and throwing uh, statements back up the hill at the guys shooting at them. It's like, oh, this is easy for you. Give us a chance to make it even. And they like immediately start laughing together. And you know, I, I, I wanna pin whatever that is and say, okay, what is that? Because most of us, when we get into that pit and we have the guns trained on us, immediately go into self-pity mode. And we're like, why me? Instead of recognizing that you're with a band known as other Christians and we are fighting a good fight. And we're in this together and we might as well laugh and rejoice like we're called to do. Our commander in chief is literally saying, okay, you're in the pit, the guns are trained on you, rejoice. Because I've got you right where I want you. I've got them right where I want them. In other words, he is a commander with a great sense of humor. And he is never caught off guard. He's never like panicky and fretful and chewing on his fingernails. He has a confidence in his ability to care for his troops. Do we have a confidence that he will care for us? So it's an uncommon life. And so let's find the extreme delight in that soldier life. A soldier's letter. So this is in the Civil War. Uh, this is actually how the letter reads. Outskirts of Baltimore. My dear William, I can now march 20 and 25 miles a day, live on short rations of hardtack, raw rancid bacon, green roasting ears and cold water, sleep out in the rain, having no more than an army coat over me and enjoy myself capitally. Edward Hastings Ripley, Union Soldier, 1861. So most of us as we're reading that are just miserable already. I mean, just get into it. And then, by the way, this doesn't even compare to most situations in war, but that's a good hint of the attitude that begins to build inside of a soldier. Either you go into the tank and start complaining like, hey, I had it good. I had a roof over my head. I was warm, nice thick blanket over me at night, cozy pillow. Now I have my army coat and I'm in the downpour of rain and I have rancid bacon to await me in the morning. I'm loving it. So as a Christian, you see the mindset in this, that we have had to leave home. We lost our nice thick blanket. We no longer have the cozy pillow. We have challenges that other people don't have. We've been inscripted into an army, and yet most of us have not found the joy in it. We have a little grumbling and complaining beneath the surface, okay? And I, I fully understand where that comes from. I've grumbled many times in my life. And yet one of the great secrets that I've discovered in my own spiritual life is learning to laugh and smile in the difficulties. So we're gonna call it the happy soldier. Built for battle and designed to thrive in and amidst danger. I'm gonna read that subtitle again because it's pretty cool. The happy soldier is built for battle and designed to thrive in and amidst danger. Most of us, we fall to pieces in the midst of danger, but the happy soldier is designed to actually rise to a whole new level, as I always like to say, like grow three feet taller in the midst of such a situation. And you know, on paper, when men arrive at the military, you can measure them based on their scholarship, like how well they did in military training academy. But truly, the men are going to need to prove themselves in the midst of danger and flying bullets 
And when the bullets start flying, you actually measure the man truly. It's not scholarship, because sometimes it's the guys who didn't do so well in school that rise up higher in the midst of difficulty, and that's who you want in charge. You want the guys who won't lose their head. In fact, the guys who laugh at the enemy. The guys who have a sense of humor in the darkest moments, like, hey, I want you. Hey, I want you to lead these troops. Same is true in the kingdom of heaven. You may not have the scholarship, but you could have the character. You could have the substance of soul that is resilient to enemy harassment, where you can rise up and grow three feet taller in the midst of difficulty and laugh out loud. So 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, and I give this scripture all the time. It's just a great scripture. It's a classic scripture. And the church at Corinth is not healthy. It is a weak church. And Paul is going to commission it. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong. So that word, that phrase, quit ye like men, comes from a Greek word, andrizomai. And it basically means, for a rough translation in the English language, be manful, be a man. So there's actually a scripture in the Bible that is commanding the church to be a man. Isn't that great? Could you imagine how awkward that is for the women? All of us guys are like, yeah. But could you imagine being one of the women in Corinth is like, be a man. Now, we know what that means. It doesn't actually mean be uh, male, gender. It means be manful. Be full of what the man should do in this situation. What should the man do? Hey, we got evil knocking at the door. We don't go hide with our tail between our legs in the basement. We don't shove our wife out in front of us and our kids out in front of us like, hey, could you guys deal with it? I'm getting out of here. We say, honey, kids, in the basement. Daddy, well, is going to meet this challenge. Be manful. So manfulness is a quality that we instinctively understand. It's not defined here. It doesn't say, quit you like men, which means to do this, 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 and this. It just says it, which means it's intrinsic. There is something inerrant in the idea of manfulness that we recognize and relate to and understand. There is a thing that the man should do, and if he doesn't, we all know oh, that's not a man. But there is a thing that if a man does it, we know that it's right. And for instance, as I've used the illustration many times, if the evil is knocking at the door and the husband shoves his wife in front, I mean, he could be saying, hey, I believe in feminism. You take this on. I mean, hey, hey go girl. Uh, and I mean, that, they, hey, that should be noble. That's socially and politically correct. And every one of us is hotwired to know that that is wrong. There is something wrong about the man pushing the woman out to do the hard thing. It is intrinsic. It is inerrant in the makeup of a man and woman to know that the man should stand in front and take the hit. He should take the bullet. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. So the other interesting thing about this phrase, andridzomai, is if you look at the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So it's, it's like your Old Testament in Greek. So it's, not, it's the Hebrew translated. In the Hebrew, uh, the, the phrase that we know as be strong and of good courage, which is said multiple times, it's basically the Hebrew war cry. So even the Israel, it, 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 nation of Israel today, the military, understands that phrase as their war cry. And so you have the translation, if you go to the Greek Septuagint and you take that phrase, be strong and of good courage, it's a Greek word, andridzomai. 
It's that. And so what you have is if you were to look in the Old Testament and see what Moses is saying to Joshua, what Joshua is saying to the people, what David is saying to Solomon, it's passed down from generation to generation. Be manful. Isn't that good? Uh, it gets me stirred. R.M. Ballantyne, who's like the, I uh, forgot what his term was. He's like the, the, auth, the adventure author for boys. And so at his, for young boys, and he was an Englishman. When he died, he had like 100,000 young boys at his funeral. These guys were so grieved that their author that inspired them to live nobly and manfully had passed away. And so like just throngs of young boys come to his funeral. Isn't that amazing? That's a pretty cool statement. So you'll get a little taste of R.M. Ballantyne just in, uh, in this quote. Boys should be inured from childhood to trifling risks and slight dangers of every possible description, such as tumbling into ponds and off of trees, etc. In order to strengthen their nervous system, they ought to practice leaping off heights into deep water. This is like a nightmare for every mom uh, to hear. <laughs> They ought never to hesitate to cross a stream over a narrow, unsafe plank for fear of a ducking. They ought never to decline to climb up a tree to pull fruit merely because there is a possibility of their falling off and breaking their necks. I firmly believe that boys were intended to encounter all kinds of risks in order to prepare them to meet and grapple with risks and dangers incident to man's career with cool, cautious self-possession. Yeah. So just more of that. You read R.M. Ballantyne, you recognize, could you imagine being a young boy and your mom's like, oh good, he's reading. <laughs> <laughs> you see, mom wisdom is not gonna take you in this direction as a young boy. But a father, that's what is unique about a father, is a father should innately understand this. And what's, if you were to ask me, Eric, do you innately understand this? Nope. I grew up in suburbia, USA. Get down from that tree. Whoa, that branch is starting to crack. Like when Ben is walking out on the ice yesterday, it's miserable for me. I'm stressed, okay? Because, hey, but, but no, no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to go in that direction. And yet there is something that's really funny. If you guys could have been there, we were up at Lily Lake in Estes Park, and the water is semi-frozen over, you know, especially near the shore. And so these guys just sort of walk out there. It's like, oh, it's fine. And, you know, for those of us that didn't grow up with this type of quote, it's a little stressful. It's like, hey, we might want to, there could be risk. There could be risk. Hey, guys, risk levels are increasing. <laughs> and yet there is something about men where we have to be trained in our soul to step into more danger because we're built for it. We're designed to be manful, which means when the heat turns up, we don't back off, but we actually laugh and step into it that's not the way we naturally pop out of the womb however when it kindles within a man when i even start speaking it we resonate as men and even the women are sort of like yeah okay i don't really like the thought of it but you know how hard it has been all throughout history for women to send their men off to war it is a painful difficult thing to send off their sons to war However, there is an understanding that if someone is going to die, it should be the man. I just gave you the gospel right there. If someone is going to die, it needs to be the man. And so as a result, there is a playing out of this gospel idea over and over in every circumstance in life. C.T. Studd, by the way, I love this quote. 
Difficulties, dangers, disease, death, or divisions don't deter any but chocolate soldiers from executing God's will. Now, I don't know if I mentioned this or you guys know, but a chocolate soldier, that's not a compliment. I know some of you really like chocolates. Like, oh, what a delightful soldier. But a chocolate soldier is a bad soldier because he melts under heat and pressure. And so you don't want to be a chocolate soldier. A chocolate soldier is a historic term amongst uh, military for talking about the soldiers that you don't want, okay? They're, they're the problem and the bane of a general's existence. So difficulties, dangers, disease, death, or divisions don't deter any but chocolate soldiers from executing God's will. When someone says, there is a lion in the way, the real Christian promptly replies, well, that's hardly enough inducement for me. I want a bear or two beside to make it worth my while to go. <laughs> is that all you got is a lion? Come on, where's the bear or two? Come on, I want something a little more challenging than that. Okay, now that's not the way most of us think. There's a lion in the way. What? what, what there's a lion? My mom always told me if there's a lion in the way, run. <laughs> and so there is a need for the preparation of what we're calling the happy soldier to live an uncommon life. It's not common to say that. I don't want you to live common. I don't want to live common. I don't want my children to live a common life. You know, one of the greats, we used to joke about this when we'd talk with parents, and we'd be teaching them about raising their children in such a generation. So the number one thing that most parents desire is for their children to be normal, or well-adjusted is one of the common terms for it. They want their children to be normal. They don't want them to be the odd kid that's made fun of off to the side. They, they want them just to fit in and be well-adjusted. And technically, if you were to evaluate what normal is in this culture, you would not want that for your kids. You want super normal, which means they're going to have to be uncommon and not fit in if they are going to actually be what God intends them to be. So we are actually preparing our kids to be different. And you know, if you ever went through public school, you, you don't want to be the different kid. I mean, the different kid really has it hard. What are we training our children for? We're training our children to live different than the world and we all when we look at it we're like oh that's pretty cool yeah that's the way i want to live that's the way yeah I, I, okay but what do they have to go through to be prepared to be different they have to be different and that's hard it's hard for us as parents i don't want my kids to go through that gauntlet i don't want them to have to face the noise of this culture and the mocking voice of this culture and yet just like rm valentine is saying Shouldn't hesitate to go out on that limb and reach for that piece of fruit even though they hear the <laughs> of the branch. Go for it, kid. But they might break their neck. Ah. <laughs> okay, now these are, these are tension points. I realize there is wisdom that still can be applied, but it's a fascinating thing to begin to press those limits in the direction of a soldier's life because a soldier takes life risks all day long. I mean, literally, when you have to make a decision when you're in a trench and there's bullets flying over your head, what are the odds that if you get out of that trench, I mean, just to use the restroom back in World War I, you had to risk your life. And so you can question, that's just a daily necessity, like a multiple times a day necessity, and you had to risk mortar shells, you had to risk machine gun fire just to stand up and find the latrine, unless you wanted to use your trench. Okay, you follow me? This is like life for a soldier. Risk your life to go to the bathroom. I don't know if any of you have ever had that problem. And so this is, this is what we are being built for. 
So the World War II soldier, Dan McConaughey sent me this. I don't know when it was, but I still have it. So I'm going to give it to you guys. So this is right in World War II. It's a regulation that was given, sort of like, all right, we're going to make it clear how we think as soldiers. Military discipline is that mental attitude and state of training which renders obedience instinctive under all conditions. Isn't that an interesting statement? See, last night I was talking with some of the fathers about habitual behaviors. Habitual behaviors are instinctive behaviors. In other words, it's just what we do. I get up in the morning and I do the same routine every morning. I don't like walk in a different direction. I walk in the exact same direction towards the bathroom. There are certain things I'm going to do. I'm not going to go into detail in them, but one of them is brush my teeth. That's safe, right? And I'm going to brush my teeth and I'm not even thinking about it. I'm not pondering, I need to brush my teeth. I really need to brush my teeth. I just brush my teeth. And there are certain habits that form in our life. If you want to set a new habit, you literally have to jar yourself to say, okay, I'm getting up, I'm walking this way instead of this way. And so in military discipline, there is a training that they're doing and they're training you over and over and over until it becomes instinctive that whenever your commander says something, you do it instinctively. You don't question it. You do it because your safety and the safety of the men around you depends on it. So it becomes instinctive under all conditions. It is founded upon respect for and loyalty to properly constituted authority. While it is developed primarily by military drill, every feature of military life has its effect on military discipline. It is generally indicated in an individual or unit by smartness of appearance and action, by cleanliness and neatness of dress, equipment or quarters, by respect for seniors, and by prompt, listen to this, and cheerful execution by subordinates of both the letter and the spirit of legal orders of their lawful superiors. Posted 2nd of June, 1942. I don't know that many people think that way uh, anymore. Cheerful execution. The heavenly soldier, one set apart for the uncommon work. The consecrated, the happy sufferer. The one made ready to be joyfully spent for the sake of Jesus Christ. It looks funny because it's the sake of the Jesus Christ. You're going to have to just eliminate that the in your mind. So that's a heavenly soldier. They are set apart to suffer. Now, if you've hung around me, you know that I boldly talk about suffering without blanching and without uh, you know, getting all squeamish. To me, I understand it. I understand that suffering is a part of the Christian life and a necessary and important part that makes us stronger. If you were an athlete, I could say the same thing. Well, if you want to be a great athlete, suffering is a part of it. Now, what you would, what you would hear me say when I said that is like, oh, what he means is like, the difficulty of the rigors of exercise. Yeah, but that's what I mean by it in the other side too. The difficulties and the rigors of the Christian campaign is called suffering. It doesn't mean you have to have your right arm lopped off with a saw to have it be suffering. It is all forms of difficulty in the campaign of engagement with hostile enemy forces. You are going to suffer. If you try and avoid suffering, you're avoiding the Christian life. The Christian life comes prepackaged as an uncommon existence, more difficult than any other existence you could have on this earth, because you are literally thumbing your nose at the powers of darkness. And I can say that's not very wise. Well, it's also not very wise to reach out on a branch that's starting to crack and reach for that fruit. It doesn't seem wise at first, but the wisest thing you could ever do in your life is follow Jesus Christ, who, by the way, is the personification of wisdom. Isn't that an irony? There's a character in the Old Testament called Joshobium the Tachmanite, or Joshobium the Chachmanite. 
And Hakmanite means son of wisdom. So this guy obviously was born of wisdom, right? So, hey, we should watch his life. Let's, let's watch him. Let's get the cameras out and say, hey, let's get a good picture of this guy's life. Joshobium, who slew 800 single-handedly. He, he takes on 800 Philistines by himself. Could you imagine? Hey, mom, mom, there's some Philistines coming in. Uh, oh, are there, dear? Well, stay away from them. I was thinking of going out by myself and trying to defeat them. Oh, honey, not a very wise idea. What doesn't look like wisdom is wisdom. Joshobium trusts his God. That's an enemy. It's in God's territory. It deserves to be repelled. So what's the wisdom? Let's go out and take on 800 Philistines by ourselves. That is, that we would not call that wisdom. It's wisdom. It's the son of wisdom, guys. So is Jesus. What's he doing? He's taking on all the hordes of hell by, him, by his lonesome. <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's wisdom personified. So when you climb into the skin of wisdom, and the, and the wisdom climbs into your skin, what's it going to look like? Well, it's not going to be easy, but there's no reason why you can't be a happy soldier the whole time. Second Samuel, talking about uh, the G.I. Joe of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they don't use the term G.I. Joe, they have Uriah. Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. You see, David's not in his healthiest state at this exact moment. He's blundered and uh, had relations with Uriah's wife, and he's trying to cover his tracks. And so he's trying to get Uriah, who, by the way, is a good soldier, he's trying to deviate him from being a good soldier. And this is an interesting tension, but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, this is an incredible statement, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. He said that to his king. I will be a man. I will be a good soldier. I will not compromise. That is extraordinary. There is a good soldier right here. Cost him his life, by the way. This good soldier is quite a picture. The happy soldier's glossary. Knowing the language of the heavenly military. So this is somewhat of a fun list. I've, I've released this list in the past. My staff, I think, gets a little uncomfortable with this list. Uh, I, we, we actually had it as a graduation uh, thing once, and it, it lasted one round. And I think the staff was like, no, we're not going there anymore. It's, it has a little too much Eric humor in it. And so I just want to forewarn you about that. But it is a really fun one. And the truth in it is actually really, really good. I'm, I don't know how many it is, but it's somewhere around 20 different phrases, like military or soldier phrases that if you were to adopt them, I, I really feel I need to do something with this at a, at a greater level, even though my staff, you know, I don't know how supportive they will be. I might have to go rogue over here and do it. Uh, my, Eric Ludy's humor is not always appreciated, and I, I just don't understand uh, that. So the happy soldier's glossary, knowing the language of the heavenly military. So you might have been in the military down here. I'm going to talk about the language we speak in the heavenly military, because this is it right here. Instant obedience, always. And this is so you see I-O-A, it's Iowa. So if you ever say Iowa, I know exactly what you're talking about. 
the pre-decided, sir, yes, sir. So this is called Sister PD, the PD sis. But the pre-decided, sir, yes, sir, you need to already have decided who you're obeying. Because when you get into that moment of tension and difficulty, and then in that moment you try and decide, you'll make a bad decision. As I always say, when you are in your sane moments and you set your alarm, you need to remember that you were sane when you set your alarm. Because when it goes off, if you start reasoning afresh of like, should I get up right now or should I sleep? You start negotiating afresh when you're in your funk, you'll make a bad decision and you'll push snooze. Whoever invented the snooze button was not your friend. <laughs> you see, when you are making your decision, you're sound of mind. And so make your decision to have a yes, sir, now, before you get into that moment where saying yes, sir, could cost you your life. You need to recognize that it's a pre-decided, sir, yes, sir. You've already said yes, sir, to your God. So no matter what he asks you from this point forward, you've already given your answer. My answer is, sir, yes, sir. Don't try and make the decision when you're slumbering, you're just waking up and you're, and you're like, should I give up my life or should I sleep a little longer? Okay, that's a bad time to making any decisions. So that's Sister Petey, by the way, guys. See, this is the stuff that my staff just doesn't appreciate. Like Sister Petey, I mean, that's great. I mean, just look at that, Petey Sis, Sister Petey. Okay, that's just great. That is, see, some of you at least may appreciate it. I see some of you looking at me like, yeah, I'm with your staff. <laughs> Undying enthusiasm. The choice to enjoy every moment and not let one moment go unloved. So the statement is let not one moment go unloved. L-N-O-M-G-U, which is Lenore Magoo, okay? <laughs> but this is an undying enthusiasm. Could you imagine if you had this in your military arsenal, in your own kit, where you're recognizing there is not one moment in this battle that I'm not going to cherish. I might as well enjoy it. This is going to make for great stories back home. The next one, to please the commander, to see the general smile. You see, what are you doing this for? I remember uh, my mom would give me the job of cleaning the kitchen growing up, and it was a chore. As long as something was a chore, it was miserable. And I would do the bare minimum. But my mom was out uh, shopping one day and I saw a dirty kitchen and I had a well of something inside of me that must have been pretty foreign and that was love. And I decided to clean the kitchen because I loved my mom and I wanted to see her smile. And it's interesting, but my behavior in doing it, I actually enjoyed the task. What was a chore now became a delight and I went the extra mile. My brother comes in till I get a glass of water. I'm like, hey, 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 the kitchen is clean. You go to the bathroom to get your water. I went the extra mile, why? To see my mom smile. When we live this way as Christians, instead of out of duty, you know, I will do what he asks me to do even though it's miserable, but to see the general smile, T.S. Tugs. No special exceptions, no silver spoon children, lowest place or bust. So in every situation, you're seeking the lowest place. In every situation, there, is, there are great stories in war of very difficult circumstances where one of, your, uh, one of your crew or team is on the in no man's land suffering and he's shot, he can't move, and he's laying out there crying. I mean, to get up out of, no, out of your trench and go and help him with bullets whizzing at you, not a good idea. And yet, the lowest position is always the one you take because you can look around and say, who's going, Who, who's going? Someone needs to go, it's not gonna be me. To be the one ready to suffer, 
to be the one ready to do the hard thing, if all the food is gone on the table and someone is going to have to go without, that you are willing to take the lowest place or bust. So this is a good one, guys. If you study it, you see that LP is lowest place and or bust. So this, an LP is like a vinyl. You guys ever heard of a vinyl record? So that's, that's the term for it is vinyl. Some of you didn't appreciate that, but that, that's brilliant. <laughs> Only one is special. So when you are dealing with your training, when you are dealing with your life, oftentimes you'll think about you and preserving you. Well, I'm important. There's only one that is special. We're gladly willing to lay down our life for him. And so in every situation, we're reasoning through the fact that we're not the special one. He is. Only one is special. So you'll see it. O-1-I-S. Owen is. O to be the first sufferer. So if there's a bullet flying, and it's always flying towards the weak, Someone is going to suffer. But as the man, we're willing to be the first sufferer. And that's our craving, to be manly. And so, O to B, T-F-S. Uh, auto B. So the T-F-S, we just sort of had to lop off. But auto B, auto B. Count the cost. Everything means everything. Jesus asks for us to give up everything in this battle. So what does everything mean? It's a classic Nathan Johnson statement. You know what everything means in the Greek? And then there's a pause, and then the crowd says, everything. <laughs> they all know what he means by that. In other words, when it says always, it means always. When it says all, it means all. When it says everything, it actually does mean everything. Whoa. So count the cost. Do you know, even before you go into this job of yours, that everything actually means everything? So E-M-E, -E, everything means everything. Emmy. Constant energy, always given, always sprinting, always eager for more, 100% all the time. So one of the, the principles that has been critical in the cultivation of my life is I recognize that in a season of my life, I would always sort of justify my, uh, my downtime. It's like, hey, I've been working pretty hard. I need some downtime. And God began to challenge me that he's the one that makes me lie down in green pastures. He's the one that restores my soul. My job is to be available when he needs me. And so the 100%, 100% of the time became my rule. And so there are times when I come home and I am so tired after some battle I've been in in ministry. And I come home and guess who's there awaiting? First of all, it's oftentimes one of the dogs is jumping on your leg or something. You're like, hey, hey, Gracie. Uh, or... It's your kids, and I remember back in the day, they haven't, I don't want to give any hints of that they should bring this up again, but they used to want to wrestle right when I'd come home. Daddy, can we wrestle? We've been waiting all day to wrestle. It's like, wrestle? <laughs> However, so say I have 5% left in the tank. Out of all the energy that Eric would typically tote around, I have 5% left. What do I give? 100%. I give 100% of my 5%, which is everything. And I'm always willing to give everything. And what, because the fear that we have is what if I run out? Well, if you run out, now you're working on supernatural fuel. Because you're in God territory, you're doing God business. And when you do God business, God will supply. If you're going doing your own business, hey, you know, God doesn't supply for that. But when you're doing his business, being a husband, being a father, that's God business. And so when you pour out 100%, 100% of the time, well, guess what? God will make up the difference. If you run dry, you'll find supernatural fuel. So 100% all the time. You see that? OP cat. Isn't that good? See, some of you are liking it. You're wanting to make your own list is what you're wanting to do. Like, I could have done better than that. But that's pretty good. OP cat. 
Okay, always ready, always ruddy. Remember how David was ruddy? That's what it says of David. Ruddy is red. There's two different reds in Scripture. Bless you. Two different reds in Scripture. You know that Adam, the, even the term for Adam is red? That's what, that's what his name means. It's like, it's the dust of the earth, which was red. It's like red earth. So Adam was ruddy. Esau was hairy and ruddy. He was red all over, right? And so then you have David and you have Jesus. When Jesus went to battle, what was he? He was red. He was covered in blood. There's a different. There's a blood. There's a, there's a red of this earth, earthy, and there's a red of heaven, bloody. And so you need to always be ruddy, impassioned, zealous for the glory of God. In other words, your face flushes, as did David when he sees the defiant giant. You're red all over. But with the heavenly red, not with the earthly red. It's not a fleshly response. It's a heavenly one. And you're always ready. You're ready to sprint. So always, see that A-R-A-R? Always ready, always ruddy. So A-R, capital A-R, is Arkansas, right? So that's Arkansas, Arkansas. So the next one is spring to action, spring to battle. So when it's time to deal with the enemy, you spring into motion. You don't just sort of move slowly, you spring. It is imperative that you are ready to spring to action and spring to battle. So S2A, S2B, spring to action, spring to uh, battle. That's stewy. I don't know why. Stew B, maybe it's like stew B, spring to battle. Yeah, see that one might not be as good, but it's good. Okay, I don't, want, I don't want to give my staff any fodder for why we should not do this again. Oh, I love this one, guys. Don't leave the impossible jobs for the next generation. Remember the 800. I just told you this story, too. Don't let Joshobium outdo you. Remember Joshobium? Hey, there's 800 Philistines out there. I'm going to take them on by myself. Don't let Joshobium outdo you. Why does he get to have the best description of what he did? You're mighty men, too. Let's rise up and D-L-J-O-D-Y. Don't let Joshobium outdo you. Dial Jody. <laughs> the next one, don't set down that sword. Eliezer didn't let go of the sword. Cleave to the sword. So there's a time in battle when you get tired. And it's, it talks about Eliezer and Shammah that fought with David against the Philistine army. And it says that Eliezer's hand grew tired. And so at that point, most of us are going to drop the sword. Instead, it says, and he clave his hand to the sword, which is sort of like cementing it to the sword. I don't know if it's like a surgical procedure to undo the cleaving, but literally your hand is like grafted to it, and you cannot even undo it anymore. It's like he makes a decision, a resolution. I am not stopping. And there are going to be times in this battle where you get tired. But pull an Eleazar and cleave your hand unto the sword. So let's see what we have here. Don't... Don't set down sword. See that? DSDS, DS, dizzy, dizzy. Always take the hardest assignment. The most difficult is the most rewarding. So this is an interesting one. I remember one of the best illustrations for this is the Cambridge 7. Remember that went over? Well, you may not know it, but they, it, C.T. Studd was one of them, and it, they were under Hudson Taylor. So Hudson Taylor came over to England, and this Cambridge 7 are some of the most extraordinary missionaries. This group of seven men come over. They're known as the Cambridge Seven. And they come over to China to work with the China Inland Mission. And when they're there, it's one of the first months that they're there or so that Hudson Taylor recognizes that there is a dire need somewhere in China, but it is an extremely difficult situation and very likely whoever goes will not come back. And he needs two of them to volunteer. 
without looking at each other, without any conference, all seven of them, without hesitation, stick their hand up in the air and say, send me. And I, I, I remember just staring at that scene, you know, even though I'm reading it via literature, and I feel like my hand didn't go up. And I was really glad theirs did. And that bothered me. I want to always take the hardest assignment. The most difficult is the most rewarding. As a man, you're strangely attracted to the difficulty. Well, why am I not? I wasn't trained to think this way. I wasn't trained to think like a soldier. And as a result, I have a tendency to be glad that everyone else raised their hand. Like, oh, I would, oh, yeah, my hand's going up. It's just a little delayed. And then I'm afraid that Hudson Taylor's going to look over at me and go, oh, Eric, I think you should go. See, I only raised my hand to look good in the group. But I, you know, they raised it first, and he's already picked one of them. So, oh, oh, I'll go to, no, we don't need any more. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> you see, I want this, which is always take the hardest assignment. The most difficult is the most rewarding. Or the most difficult, the MD, is the most rewarding, mister. So the doctor, that's MD, right? The doctor is the mister, or doctor mister. Uh, see, some of you like that one. That's good. Don't get distracted by the giants. So there's a big giant out there, and he's boasting. You'll have a giant in your life, and it'll be an impossible battle in front of you. Don't get distracted by the giant. Grab four more. So what does David do? He doesn't just grab one rock, one stone from the brook. He grabs four more. Well, it's because there's four more brothers of Goliath up on the hill. In other words, he's like picking out five smooth stones because he's, he's moving past this giant. Once he gets this guy out of the way, he's moving on to greater territory, greener pastures up there. He's got four more threats on the hill. Let's take them all. You see, don't get distracted by the giant. One of the ways that I've described it, some of the men heard it this weekend, is since this is the Valley of the Great Tree, the Valley of Elah, that's what it means. There's this huge tree in the Valley of Elah. And I always picture Goliath standing right in the uh, silhouette of it is like over him. And it's like David's looking at the grand tree, which to the Jew was a symbol of the Almighty. They were known as Ojijian, Almighty from the beginning. And so as a result, that tree is a symbol of God to David. And it's like shrouded. I mean, it's just totally overshadowing the bigness of the giant. It's like, what are you focused on? You focused on the tree? Think about that, the cross. You focus on the cross, you focus on this little diddly squat challenger that is defying the armies of the living God. So don't get distracted by the giant. Grab four more. So look at that, G4 more. Grab four more. Grandpa Mo. Mo. G4 Mo. Grandpa Mo. I'm not sure how I got grandpa out of G4, but I'm sure it's possible. Okay, guys? Because this, this, is, this is very well done. Uh, stop. <laughs> suffer one, suffer all. So in other words, just because part of your ranks are suffering doesn't mean you escape. If one of your fellow soldiers is suffering, you stand with them. So suffer one, suffer all. You do not leave in the time of crisis those that are your brothers. And that's a historic understanding in the military to recognize that we do not abandon our friends, which as a result in World War I became a crisis point because of the invention of what's called no man's land, which was the territory between the barbed wire and the trenches. Because men would get shot down out there, and yet if you get up to help them, you die too. And yet they're crying out, and they're oftentimes crying your name because you're their best buddy. Hey, don't forget me out here! Could you imagine what that would be like? Knowing that if you get up, you die. Whoa! There's a great story of a man in, in the Battle of Verdun that he's in the trench, and one of, it wasn't even part of his, his group. 
And this guy is wailing out there. He had been actually unconscious for like a day. And then he came to, and he doesn't even know where he's at. And he, so he starts screaming. And so this guy, I can't even remember his name, but he's a hero. Uh, he literally looks in his, in his, along his trench and says, who, who will go with me? Who will go with me? Not one person would go. So he literally rises up with a white flag. I mean, and trusting that the Germans are not going to take you out. And the Germans actually respected it. And he went walking out there. I mean, literally, literally risks his life. He has all these guns trained on him. And he goes up to the man. And he says, I'll come back for you in the night. Because that's when they would go and collect the people out of no man's land. But, and he did. And the guy ends up living. The, that soldier ends up living, of course, to tell the story, too. It's a pretty extraordinary tale. I want to be like that. So suffer one, suffer all. Look at that. Swan saw. Swan song. See? I don't know. You guys aren't as impressed as you should be. <laughs> Forsake the common life. You are living an uncommon life, and you need to accept that up front. The moment you try and look at everyone else's life around you and say, how come I don't? Uh-uh. You're, you're going in the wrong direction already. A Christian is an uncommon life. You have an uncommon inheritance, too. What the reward is, is so uncommon. If you live an earthly life, you will get an earthly reward. If you live a heavenly life, you get a heavenly reward. You have an uncommon life, but you have an uncommon reward. So forsake the common life. F-T-C-L. How did I do this one? F-T. Oh, that's empty. F-T is empty and then cell. Empty cell. Uh, guys, I know I'm impressing you. <laughs> Last to sleep, first to rise. Ever watchful, always the protector. So in other words, those that are over, the manful ones, are the ones that care. They don't just fall asleep and let everyone else, you know, figure things out. They're alert and they're awake. So last to sleep, first to rise. They're ever watchful, always the protector. So L2S, last to sleep, and first to rise, F2R. So L2S. How did I get that? L2S. L2S. Yeah, so it's the very first part of it. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> no man left behind. So uh, I mean, some of my favorite stories in military history are where they're getting on the military transport, like in Vietnam, and they recognize, they're like, where's so-and-so? And he's back there, and the enemy is coming on them. And then one guy says, well, we're not leaving him. And he goes running, like, no, don't! And he goes running out to find him, and then is carrying him back over his shoulder with the enemy shooting at him and getting him out, and then he dies, and the guy gets into the transport. I mean, that's, that's good stuff, guys. Everything about it is like, okay, that is a man right there. Literally gives up his life to pick up a wounded soldier that may have died anyways, right? He might even not live, but to say he has a chance. Let's go after him. No man left behind. So this is no MLB man left behind. So MLB is like baseball. So if there's no baseball, it's called a strike. <laughs> Always expect to win. No matter how dark it gets, when all seems lost, always expect the battle to turn. This is an important one for us, all of us in here, because there are times when it seems like God's not hearing. The battle seems to get worse no matter how far we go along. It, it doesn't change. Uh, oh, there we are. And so always ETB2T. <laughs> always always uh, expect the battle to turn. Always eat the beats. Yeah, you can see it in there if you study it. It's in there somewhere. <laughs> How about this one? No muttering. Bold proclamation. Speak clear and distinct. You ever had it in your prayer times where you start to mutter? It's like, oh, God. Say it. 
Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. He is victorious. Be strong with that enemy. Don't become a coward when the battle gets difficult. To Be bold in your proclamation. Not just even to the spiritual realms, but even to those lost souls around you. Don't lose the fight. So, no muttering. So this is clear and distinct. C-L and D-I. Colonel and D. Well, that's good. Always honorable. Always noble. Always the gentleman. So always honorable is aw. That's dentist. <laughs> All right, 2 Timothy 2. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Look at that statement. I know it's spoken to Timothy, but have you ever thought of actually embracing the statement for yourself? You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. You are called to an uncommon life. So the muttering of the manly. So I'm going to give you a very deep set manly statement. And that is can hand rouse impossibly sore turn. Can hand rouse impossibly sore turn. I know, doesn't that stir you? Doesn't it move you at a deep level? So I'm going to explain it for you because it fits right in here. Watch, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men. In the ESV it says, act as men, be strong. So I'm going to take that and I'm going to stick in can hand rouse impossibly sore turn. Watch, stand fast in the faith, can hand rouse impossibly sore turn, be strong. Does that help? Does that explain to you what that is? Okay, I'm going to go through each one of these so you can fully appreciate this. Can. Can all dark thoughts. The mind is where the battle is won or lost, so pin all those nasty thoughts to the mat of truth and don't let them even wiggle. Can them. Don't ponder them. Don't let them just ruminate up there. Get rid of them. Dark thoughts have no business in your mind. As a soldier, you must guard your mind. And so can all dark thoughts. Hand. Hand the devil his official invite to the battle. Hand the devil his posterior on a platter. Either way, you could say it. Let him know you are on the offensive and not the defensive. The gates of hell shall not prevail. You are an offensive weapon in God's kingdom, not just a defensive one. As uh, William Grinnell, who wrote The Christian Complete Armor, who's a Puritan writer, he wrote, God has given us armor, but he didn't supply any for the back. We are offensive. Let's take the territory that God has purchased at the cross. So I, I, I said rouse, but that's to just throw you off. It's actually rouse, but we pronounce it rouse in our statement. Rouse your soul and laugh out loud so that both you and everyone around you can hear it. You get into that dark moment, you're in the trench, and it's a difficult moment. Rouse your soul and laugh out loud so that both you and everyone around you can hear it. The laugh is the godly soldier's war cry. The song is the signal that he knows he's already victorious, and the leap is his punch to the nose of the demonic host. So you, you laugh, you sing, and you leap. And in so doing, you're, you're doing the ultimate military maneuver, and you're causing the devil to tremble in his boots. Impo sible. Impo and sible, two of the greatest verbs in the kingdom of heaven. To impo is to tackle all difficulties with a smile, and to sible is to do your impoing like a ninja. Together they make for doing the impossible, but you must pronounce it with a Spanish accent. Impo sible. 
Soar. Soar over the situation like a superhero. After all, you don't have that big S of salvation on your soul for sitting around and twiddling your thumbs. And what do you think that cape is for? It's time to fly like you are, in fact, the twice-born of Jehovah. In every situation, there is a storm. What you can do is you can remain under the storm and get drenched. Or you can fly above it and soar above the storm. Same storm, but you're above it. We are called to soar above the difficulties in our life. Not to languish beneath them. Same storm. I can't take the storm away from you. But I can encourage you and exhort you to rise above it. Turn. Turn outward to give every ounce of strength you have left to those around you. In a time of difficulty, the stuff you give away counts toward the heavenly crown a thousand times more than at any other time. It is without question the greatest investment opportunity this side of heaven, so make hay while the sun shines. When you're in the darkest, most difficult moments and you give what you have in those moments, that's the greatest heavenly investment. It's worth a thousand times more than any other time in life. And so if you're a good investment guy, you know, and you're like, hey, I'm going to get a good return on this. What would you do with your energy and your strength and your resource? You'd give it all. And that's precisely the model of the soldier. The muttering of the manly. So let's practice. Can, hand, rouse, impossible, sore turn. Now look at the far left-hand line. Yeah, see? See, there's method to my madness. This is Christ. This is the model of Christ. This is how Christ lived. This is how Christ exhorts us to live. And as a result, if we are going to be the happy soldier, we need to live as Christ, not as mere men and women trying to mimic the incredible soldier known as Christ, but stepping into Christ by faith and having him step into us via the Holy Spirit so that that happy soldier lives in this skin. The happy heavenly soldier. He's also known as the twice-born indwelled by the heavenly soldier himself, enabled to live a life that otherwise would be impossible, one who doesn't look to his own strength and courage to do the work, but has learned how to go to heaven's war chest for the ability to fight. Guys, let me just finish with a prayer. There was humor in that, but there was a lot of serious truth. However, the humor is what we need. We need a song in the prison cell. And it seems totally ridiculous when you're in a prison cell to sing. It seems totally ridiculous that when you're falsely accused, you should leap for joy. And yet that's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus actually asked us to do. And so what we are being asked to do is, in a certain sense, ludicrous. If you look at it with the lens of this world. But when you put on the heavenly glasses, you can't help but laugh. God's in control. Do you remember when... Elisha and his servant were sitting there and they're surrounded by the Syrian army. I mean, it doesn't look good. There's two of them and there's a Syrian army and they've come to take Elisha. Because that's a bad moment. And his, his servant is panicking. Alas, master, look at all these Syrians. This is terrible. And so basically Elisha says, you need the right glasses. Lord, open my servant's eyes that he can see. And what does he see? He sees a mountain full of horses and chariots of fire. Greater is the number of those that are with Elisha and his servant than those that are coming against him. This is a principle in the New Testament. Same principle. You just need eyes to see it. You need the happy soldier's lens to see the mountain light up with horses and chariots of fire. Why are you fearful? Why are you downcast? 
don't you realize that our God is victorious? And so even in the darkest moments, you might as well allow the laugh to come out. The song, get a little jig in your leg and start dancing. Because our God is victorious. Father, open our eyes to see the mountain filled with horses and chariots of fire. Let us wear the glasses of heaven and may we see through your perspective your high and holy seated position at the right hand of majesty and all things under your feet. May we freshly look at life and our circumstances, our situation, our marriages, our family through that lens and realize that you have supplied us everything that we need to win this battle. Oh Lord Jesus, do what only you can do in our lives. It's in the precious name we pray, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.